You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Verse 2, 1 John chapter 2, He, Jesus Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. An opportunity for God so love the world. And whosoever believes in the Son that He sent, whosoever believes, God so love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're secure in the earth. If people had simply believed Noah and his warning of the catastrophic flood to come, they could have been saved. They simply had to believe and board his ark, but they didn't. It was their choice. That physical salvation offers us a clear metaphor for Christ. As Pastor Danny will point out in today's message, Christ offers us a spiritual ark where we can not only take refuge and find safety amidst turbulent waters of this life, but he'll carry us on to paradise when it's all over. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of The Living Word. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That's our verse. Now turn back to the left. First book in your Bible, the book of Genesis. And I'm not going to read you the whole story because it's fairly lengthy, but I'll read you the major part of it. It's the story of Noah and the ark. Great story. Chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. An amazing thought that God feels pain. So the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Some people have a hard time with this, but the idea is, look, things are just going from bad to worse to awful, and uh, we need to put an end to this and start afresh. And that's what God's saying. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The word there translated favor is a Hebrew word, and it's synonymous with the New Testament Greek word translated in the New Testament, grace. It's unmerited favor. Noah found unmerited favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. 
God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it. Finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top, so there's an opening around the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I'll establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you for the new start. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You're to take every kind of food that's to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. One more verse, verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Hey, Noah believed God's word regarding future judgment. Did you know essentially the story of the Bible is twofold? I mean, if you summed up from Genesis to Revelation in, in a very succinct form, you'd have two sides of a coin. Uh, one is this, holy God, creator, unrighteous world, fall of man, humanity, sin. And so holy God, because of sin, now predicts judgment. That's the one side of the coin. Holy God, unrighteous world, judgment. What's the other side of the coin? Same holy God, but that's not all of his character. Holy God, righteous, all those things, but gracious, merciful, compassionate. And the same God now has a plan to redeem the world that he is going to judge. And if the world will respond to God's plan by faith, guess what? You can be saved. You don't have to experience the judgment that he's going to bring. Some people, even professing Christians today, suggest that the judgment in Noah's day uh, was not universal, that it wasn't a universal flood that covered the whole world. It was just more local. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Back to the right again, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Deluge, it means complete. He's talking about the flood of Noah's day. By the same word, God's word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. After the flood of Noah's day, and God started everything over again through Noah and his family, God said, I'll put my bow in the sky, and that'll be a sign of the covenant I'm making that I'll never again destroy the earth with a universal flood. Every time you see a rainbow, be reminded God's word is true. He will never again destroy the earth in judgment by a universal flood. 
But he didn't say he wasn't going to destroy the earth again. <laughs> he said not by a flood. Next time's by fire. Now, verse 10, the last part, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So the Bible says, look, the flood of Noah's day was universal and it represents and speaks of a future judgment that won't be a universal flood, but it will be universal. It'll be by fire. That's what the Bible says. But it's not just the Bible. I mean, how can people say that the flood of Noah's day was not universal if you really look at the evidence, the evidence? If you read the whole story in the book of Genesis, one of the things we learn is that the flood, uh, when it was complete and the rain and all had stopped and the, the waters from the deep that God sent from below the earth, it's not just rain coming from above, but it's from beneath the earth as well. Once it's complete, the Bible says that it covered the highest mountains over 20 feet. In other words, there's over 20 foot of water over the highest mountain now. That includes Mount Ararat. That was the area where Noah uh, lived uh, and where the ark was built. Mount Ararat is 17,000 feet high. And you had waters over 20 feet above the top of Mount Ararat. Look, scientifically, you cannot have a local flood that covers a mountain over 17,000 feet. It's not possible. The flood lasted 371 days. Did you know this? This is cool. Every culture on the planet, every culture in history, every single one, has a story of a great flood where one man and his family were saved, including the Eskimos. The Eskimos have a story of a great flood and one man and his family saved through the great flood. Get this. In every corner of the planet, you can find scattered around a layer of earth strata that can only be fine mud or silt, even under the ice sheet of Antarctica. It contains the same types of elements all over the world, and it represents the dividing line between the age of the dinosaurs and the age of mammals. It gets better. Scientists all over the world uh, recognize this layer, but they disagree on what caused it. What about 40 days and 40 nights of a lot of water? <laughs> The earth is crisscrossed with ancient riverbeds, some over 10 miles wide. Uh, there's one near Vernal, Utah, that you can stand and look at uh, one of these riverbeds. It stands near vertical due to the upheaval in the earth's crust and contains virtually every species of animal, including dinosaurs, fossilized palm trees, wood, and get this one, fish. Fish. Turtles, birds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They found fossils of sea creatures in rock layers on every continent. That's fascinating to me. For example, most of the rock layers in the walls of the Grand Canyon, more than a mile above sea level, contain marine fossils. You know where else they found marine fossils? In the Himalayas. The Himalayas. Some of these fossils are, one person described it this way exquisitely preserved. What does that tell us? It indicates a sudden catastrophic destruction and burial. They could not be so preserved without some sudden catastrophic event. Folks, listen, not only the Bible, all over our planet that we dwell on, there's geological evidence of a historical universal flood. That flood was universal, and the judgment yet to come is, therefore, universal. Now, Noah became an heir 
of the righteousness that comes by faith. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but it's noteworthy because it's the only righteousness that'll do you any good. No good works will do us any good. The only righteousness that'll get us to heaven, save our souls, is a righteousness that comes by faith. And it's faith in what God has done and what God has said, his word, not on what we do and what we say. It's the same righteousness uh, Abraham found. It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we could speak a lot more about that, but I'm going to move on. Look, well, we'll just say this. I forgot I had this one on there. Say this one with me. This is a great verse. Are you ready? For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Isn't it great that I haven't lived uh, 10 years as a Christian? God says, well, up to this point, it's been me, but now you've got to earn a little bit of the rest. No, 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 no. It's by faith from first to last. Now, listen to this. Noah was saved from judgment and his family through the ark. Now, I know that should be obvious, but I don't know if you really appreciate the ark uh, like you should. The ark is a type of Christ. The type just means a symbol uh, or an illustration, an illustration. Now, Go back with me. Pay attention here. You're going to really like this. Genesis chapter 6, we read, but I'm going to read one verse again. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. Uh, We know what the Hebrew word means, but we don't know exactly what pitch was made of, probably some tar-like substance, but the word just means to smear. So smear it, inside and outside. Second time you find that word is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3. Let me tell you what that is. That's Moses' mother to try to save her child, which God providentially did, Moses. And she builds this little basket, and the Bible says she put pitch on that basket. Same word. Whatever kind of substance it was that kept that basket floating when she put little baby Moses in the Nile River, until Pharaoh's, was a Pharaoh's wife, anyway, the, yeah, she found her and God providentially saved Moses and Moses providentially was used by God to deliver a nation. But let me give you another very significant place you find it. It's Exodus chapter 32 and verse 30. I'll read it for you. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make, and the word is, same word, pitch for your sin. Translated in the NIV, in my Bible, that I teach from anyway, atonement. And you find that word over and over again, related to the sacrifices that would be offered so that there would be atonement. Atonement, the word is pitch. Look, there's a New Testament phrase that Paul the Apostle especially liked to use. It's this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. For example, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. He uses it again in the final chapter, Romans chapter 16, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He uses it, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 30. It's because of him, 
that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Wow. To be in the ark is an illustration, a lesson. And it was a reality for Noah and his family that if they were in the ark, and the ark is covered inside and out with what? With atonement, with pitch. You're covered in atonement. And the judgment can't get to you because you're in the ark. Listen, do you get that? You understand how secure we are? Let me read you one I don't have, but in my notes that you could get online. 1 John chapter 2. Oh, this is so good, man. It just gives you Jesus bumps over and over again. Uh, verse 2, 1 John chapter 2. He, Jesus Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. An opportunity for God to love the world. And whosoever believes in the Son that he sent, whosoever believes... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're secure in the ark. 450 feet long, 80, uh, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It was actually four stories if you include the top level. The total deck space of the ark, uh, fascinating to me, is 100,000 square feet. I mean, it's, it's massive, especially for the day uh, that it was built in. The word or ark, you know what the word in Hebrew really means? A box. What God literally said to Noah is, I want you to build a really big box. Uh, someone calculated years ago uh, that the cargo capacity of the ark was equal to 522 box cars, train box cars. You ever been stuck at a train passing, you know, and it's been a really, really long one? I've been, seen some long ones, but I've never seen one with 522 box cars. That's a long train. Some people have a wrong idea of how the ark was built and what it looked like. Let me give you an idea. This is a guy in the Netherlands that built this one not long ago. And um, it's the closest, I guess, to the biblical instructions because it's more square than rounded. See, the ark wasn't built like most ships to be propelled through the water. The ark was built to survive the massive water, to survive it. There was no rudder. There's no steering system. Uh, this thing was built just to float in the judgment waters. Not until the early 19th century, 1858, was a ship built yeah, even close to the size of the ark. I mean, it took I mean, it hundreds and hundreds of years. And then the ship called the Himalaya was built. It was 240 feet long and 35 feet wide. Later the same year, they really, uh, shipbuilding industry did it. They built a ship called the Great Eastern. It was 692 feet long, uh, 83 feet wide, and 30 feet high. It weighed 19,000 tons. You say, where are you going with this? Well, the shipbuilding industry, uh, in a very short amount of time, relative to history, discovered something on how to build ships. They discovered that if you wanted the most stable ship you could build, you had to build it by a certain ratio between this ratio and this ratio, and the ratio was 6 to 1 to 8 to 1. What does that mean? You wanted to build it, if you build it 6 feet long, or whatever the multiplication by 6, uh, you want to build it, if it was 6 feet long, Every six feet, you want to build it one foot wide, six to one to eight to one. If you build it within that ratio, you have the most stable vessel that you can build. The ark was 6.1 ratio. Henry Morris 
engineering scientists concluded that the ark would have had to be turned completely vertical before it could be tipped over. Wow. You take the square bottom, you add all the weight of the animals, that makes it even more stable because you have it down in the water, the base of it, and it's even less likely, virtually impossible. John chapter 10 John's gospel, chapter 10, here's what Jesus says, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You see the picture? I am in Christ. Christ is in the Father And the devil can't get to me, and judgment can't get to me. Nobody can get to me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I am secure. I'm secure. If you're in the ark, in Christ, you're secure. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. That was a good point, wasn't it? Noah's connection with the ark, you have to understand this. He and his family, it caused them ridicule and persecution in their world. No doubt about it. No question about it. I mean, he built the thing between the Tigris and Euphrates River. There's no ocean. There's no large lake. Didn't take long if you pass by Noah's house uh, to realize he's got this crazy thing going on, building this big, massive box. If Noah were building the ark in our world today, he'd be the brunt of every late-night comedy show. I mean, they'd be making extra money and get higher ratings by their Noah jokes. No doubt about it. His life revolved around the ark. I mean, his life revolved around the ark. And because of his connection with the ark and because he's building the ark, he's also year after year after year warning the world, warning the world, and yet giving them hope. Judgment is coming, but God's provided a means to be saved. Our text said this, by faith he condemned the world. What does that mean? Does that mean he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher? Well, he did warn of coming judgment, but what it means is that his life and his message condemned the world. Let me put it another way. Just like when John the Baptist stood before Herod and he confronted him about his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias, that condemned John's life. John's message. No different than uh, the prophets condemning their world, their life and their message. No different than Jesus when he came. His life and his message did what? Condemn the world. That's why they put him on the cross. Let me give you this verse, and you'll really, you'll really understand it if you haven't already. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, those who respond in faith, though don't respond in faith, we are the smell of death. I don't know if you've ever smelled death. It is not a pleasant odor at all. To the other, the fragrance of life. You could translate that another way, literally. To some people, I stink. They don't want to be around me. They don't want to hear what I got to say. They just assume they never saw me again, never heard me again. Because they're rejecting 
the message. They're rejecting the offer of salvation. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to think about it. And to some people, listen, we stink. And to other people, we're the smell of life. The smell of life. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to discontinue their reliance on the law. Jesus came to fulfill not only the prophecies of a Savior, but also the law itself. He perfectly lived out every word of it, never wavering, and always showing love and kindness. Jesus then became the sacrificial lamb, the one who would die in your place, so you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. His blood paid the price. All you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. We want to pray for you and be available to answer any questions you might have. Please email us at info at ccfstpete.church. We're so glad that you tuned in today to The Living Word. If you live in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. to worship the Lord and learn from His Word with us. Be sure to stop Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. You'll find more information and directions at ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, you can still be a part of our virtual congregation. Join our live stream at ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more from this study in the book of Hebrews right here on The Living Word.